0: Let's pray and then we'll look into God's Word. God, we're, uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. And I say that not because it's new to anybody. I say that to remind ourselves that anything we do when we look at the Bible is an absolute waste of time unless we acknowledge and engage with uh, the Holy Spirit. Because He's the teacher. He's the one who brings things to light. He's the one who can uh, show us things in Scripture we haven't seen. And He's the one who can open up our ears and hearts so we can do what you ask us to do, and so Holy Spirit, uh, teach us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our hearts, and we ask all in Christ's name, Amen. So, um, start off with this. Go to the next slide. Let's be honest about racial tension. All right. So let me talk about racial tension. All right. So you have two different races uh, that have animosity. It goes back for centuries. Uh, one race sells the other into slavery. One race won't even travel through the neighborhoods of the other race. Um, some believe, of this race, believe that that race is less than human, and they treat them that way. Worship is most often segregated. And due to the systemic racial hatred, killing each other is a sad current reality. And I'm not talking about American whites and blacks. All right? I'm talking about Jews and Samaritans in the Bible. And part of my point is racism is not a new thing, all right? So the Samaritans, if you know anything about the Bible, uh, uh, the Samaritans, so if you go Israel a map, up here is Galilee, here is Samaria, and down here is Judea. That's where Jerusalem is, all right? Way back in the Old Testament time, Assyria smashed over Israel and, and basically tore people out of their homeland and put them into exile. And then they sent their own people non-Jewish people into Samaria to occupy the homes and the farms that had been taken over. And they kind of, there were some still left there. So Samaria became this race of people that weren't Jewish. And if anything, there was a little bit, a few left. Maybe there were some half-Jews, half-breeds, multiracial. So the Samarians became, historically, way back to the Jews, this half-breed kind of people. And not only half breed, they were bred. They were. It was because of the pain of being overtaken by the Assyrians years ago. So the the, the Samaritans had this weird. They had weird doctrines. They had a different temple. Um, Jews were taught from birth to treat Samaritans with contempt. I mean, outright contempt and disgust. It was even said if you eat bread made by a Samaritan. You're eating the flesh of pigs. I mean, it, was, it was strong language. Um, if, you, if you lived in Galilee and you were going to Judea, you didn't go the shortest route through Samaria. You don't go through those neighborhoods. You went around it. Because to go through it would be to defile yourself. All right? Um, a Jew would often say, may, may, my, may my eyes never look upon a Samaritan. They believed Samaritans wouldn't even rise from the dead. They were that less of human beings. And actually, when I talked about slavery, it was the Samaritans that that would kidnap the Jews and sell them into slavery. So there was racial animosity both sides. Um, Even if a Jew was trying to go through Samaria, the Samaritans would also often try to interrupt them, disrupt them, even kill them. There was that strong of... Uh, they would try to, you know, even on Jewish, Jewish holidays, when people up here had to go to Jerusalem, they would try to distract them and disrupt them, and they would try to desecrate spiritual things, the temple and things like that. So the tension was uh, incredibly high. Um, the Jews called Samaritans foolish people. They called Samaritans the ignorant Jews. So there was racial superiority and self-righteous fanaticism on both sides, right? So my point is that racism, uh, God's not surprised by racism. I mean, he saw it in his own people, all right? Okay, now, that said, I'm doing a series, started a few weeks ago, calling Jesus wants you to wake up, it's kind of kind of jumping off the, kind of the woke culture, but waking up to Jesus, we talked about, means waking up to the Holy Spirit, waking up first to what he has to say on these issues, not what CNN or Fox News have to say on the issues. Um, so go to the next one so we have a number of different things we're going to be talking about you have a gay pride sticker you have a transgender thing gun violence black lives matter immigration world religions I'll probably throw a week in there about uh, climate change and how do we and again we're not mocking any of this we're trying to figure out what what is the mind of Christ on these issues how do we think about these issues so go to the next slide so uh, primary assumption I said this last week primary assumption is we trust Jesus. That's why I put it on a rocker. We trust Jesus. And I, you'll see, I kind of built it this way. We trust Jesus. We trust the Bible. If I can put my Bible over here. All right? And then through that grid, we, we engage these issues. Our starting point is not, what do the Republicans say about this? What do the Democrats say about this? That's not our starting point. Our starting point is, okay, we trust Jesus. We trust what the Bible says. Let's let's find us. We may have to be roused to the issues by culture but then we have to go here and say okay let's start back here what does jesus say about these things what does the bible say about these things because scripture often talks about having the mind of christ you know first corinthians we have the mind of christ philippians 2 have the mind of christ so we want to we the question we're asking is how do we think about these things with the mind of christ Not with the mind of our version of Christianity, not with the mindset of our denomination, not with the mindset of American Christianity. How do we think about these things with the mind of Christ? And the mind of Christ is always and only expressed through the Bible. We can't, we can't say Jesus said things that weren't in the Bible. I've heard, um, I was, side issue. I was part of a Zoom meeting this week with other pastors. Other pastors who are part of churches where the Bible is prominent, all right? We were talking about one of these issues. I won't say which issue we were talking about. The name Jesus was never mentioned. And they talked about Scripture, from Scripture and Gospel. They never referenced anything Jesus said or did about that issue. But they kept saying Jesus would feel this. They, they, no, actually, they never said Jesus. They just kept Scripture, Gospel, we should be doing this. And they were all good men. I know them all. They are all good people. I don't know all of them. But I just, and I thought, we have to ask the question. We have to start with, what does Jesus have to say about this issue, if anything? And we can't use, you've heard people say, well, we know what scripture says. Well, then when people say that, I say, well, tell me what you, what are you talking? Which scripture are you talking about? You just can't say scripture supports this or the gospel supports this. You need to tell me something Jesus said or did specifically that you think relates to this. Because otherwise, then we're just playing these games of, I'll make Jesus say, I'll put words in his mouth. You can't do that. And I'm, I'm not saying we, ha- we can't think outside of what Jesus said, but we have to start with what Jesus said. And so all these issues, our primary assumption is we trust Jesus. So we, we're, we're going to start with his mind and ask him those questions, all right? Here's the other assumption. I have four different ones here. Some, another assumption is uh, we're not going to mock it. We're not mocking staying woke. We're not mocking that. It's, it's something our culture talks about a lot. and Maybe it should get our attention about some things. We're not mocking it. Second thing is we're not fighting a culture war. It's not us versus these issues. It's not a uh, culture war winning. It's us asking Jesus, what is his mind on these issues? And therefore, how do we think about these issues? All right, That's totally different than having a culture war mentality. Culture war, it's not us trying to win We're not trying to win anything. We are trying to have the mind of Jesus on these issues. That's what we have to ask. Third thing is we're going to ask tough questions. We're going to think deeply, Bible, and we're going to love widely because these are not issues. These are people we're talking about. We're not talking about issues. We're talking about people. I mean, there are issues, but they involve people. And the last thing, which I challenged you last week, I'll challenge every every one of us needs a posture shift. I said last week that the Bible talks about Jesus being full of grace and truth, and I have it on the continuum there. And Jesus was the perfect blend of both, always at the same time. And if you weren't here last week too, I just I'm proud of my little emojis. This is the extreme truth emoji was the finger wagging, all right. Nobody wants to be that way, right? But we you know people that way, and Pharisees were that way, but we can be Pharisees. But the grace extreme, which, which really isn't grace, is the hey, anything's okay, no matter what, you know, you do what you want to do, all right? Neither one of those are Jesus. Jesus was both of those, and I said last week too. Red and blue makes purple. That's why I have purple light here today. All right. Jesus blends both of those. He dealt with every issue, every person, every sexually broken person, every racial issue, whatever. He always dealt with a perfect blend of those two. He didn't put on his truth hat and then take it off and put on grace. He was both all the time. All right. So those are our. And so wherever you are on the continuum on whatever issue, none of us are yet Jesus. We don't have the mind of Christ. So you have. God may be, the Holy Spirit may be challenging you and me to make a shift away from the way you've thought about things that may be not be Bible-informed, all right? Or you may make a shift from this point. And my, my, my example of that is this. I grew up in a church where it was considered wrong to drink alcohol. Wrong. Sinful. Well, the Bible doesn't really say that. The Bible says it's wrong to be drunk, but not long to drink alcohol. So I had to make a posture shift in my thinking because our pastor told us the Bible says it's wrong. Well, the pastor said it's wrong. The Bible never says that. So that's part of how we want to think about these things. We've all been raised in certain church traditions that maybe have led us to believe certain cultural things that aren't really what the Bible says, but it's a traditional interpretation of it, right? So we have to be aware of those things. So that's kind of some of our assumptions there. So so now let's now be let's now be honest then about uh, the racial tension in our country. Let's let's go right after these things. All right. To do that, I thought it'd be good just to kind of tell a few stories. All right. These are all real people. Next next slide. All right. This is Pastor Richard Allen. You can't tell from the slide, but he's African American. Maybe you can't tell. And this is a this is a key story in American racial history. So. He was a pastor. He was part of St. George Methodist Church. He wasn't the pastor. He was asked to preach occasionally. Uh, St. George Methodist Church in 1792. uh, They had prayer meetings. And if you were black, you could only pray in a certain part of the church. You couldn't pray in a certain part of the balcony or a certain part, all right? They were segregated prayer meetings, which you can stop and think, wow, that kind of blows my mind, right? So... There was one time he and some of his friends were late to the prayer meeting. The only place to pray was in the white section, so they kneeled down there to pray. Ushers told them, sirs, you have to move. You can't pray here." And again, think about the kind of upside downness of all this. And one of his friends with him said, "Can you wait till the prayer time's over?" "No, sir. You have to move now." "Can you wait till the prayer time?" They were on their knees. "Can you wait till the prayer time's over?" "No. You have to move now." And can you just feel how offensive that had to be to the heart of God? Now, and also, I said this too, before you and I wag our fingers at the members of St. George Methodist Church Philadelphia, we really don't have any idea how we would have acted if we were one of the white people. We don't know. We, we'd like to think we would have seen this as offensive. But when the the weight of the culture was so heavy about segregation, their eyes were blinded to the scripture, right? So... Just let's not, let's not, let's not wag our fingers at people, even though what they were doing was evil and destructive, but let's not assume we might not have fallen into that too. Just like today, we may be accommodating things to culture that we don't even think about because we're not thinking biblically enough. So just, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to mock the woke culture and we're not going to wag our fingers at people who, we, we, we can still say that what they did was evil and destructive and wrong. But we're not going to say I would never have done that because we don't know, all right? So, so anyway, so so what did Richard Allen that he started? They decided to start their own church. It was the first American African, it was the first African American denomination in the United States, it's called the African Methodist Episcopal Church. There's one in Bloomington, it's Bethel A. M. E. That was the first in our country, the first completely African American denomination. And I'm saying that because let's just be honest about our history, all right. So that's Richard Allen. Next one. This is William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was British, so he wasn't American, but let's just, uh, we'll take him anyway. (laughs) I like his story. He, follower of Jesus, member of British Parliament, for years fought the slave trade in Great Britain. For years, driven by his conviction of what Scripture said about how God loved everybody and everybody was created in the image of God. For years he got hassled from it. He got hassled from his Christian friends. Finally, in eighteen thirty-three, they passed the Slave Abolition Act in Great Britain because Wilberforce, I think for like thirty years, kept trying to fight this in Parliament. Finally, because he was driven by his conviction of scripture. All right. So we have good guys in our background, we have bad guys. All right? all right. This is a good guy. All right. Next story. Harriet Beecher Stowe, you may know this name, but she grew up in a she wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. She grew up in a pastor's home. Her her dad was a Lyman Beecher. She, uh, they were part of what was called the abolitionist movement, anti-slavery movement. She wrote this book to show people the horrors of slavery. And and she wrote it biblically convicted by the by the spirit of Jesus, right? Harriet Beecher Stowe, all right? Next part. These are, I could have had a hundred of these things, all right? Reverend James Henley Thornwell, pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina in 1861. He was a Harvard-educated, very intelligent man. But, he said the bondage of the black man is normal. And he preached to his congregation, said slavery is not sinful. He was a slave owner himself. And uh, he actually claimed the Bible supported slavery. And they, people, let me just give you a little argument of where that comes from. So, in the Old Testament, you know, you know Noah in the flood, and he had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. After the flood was over, Noah got drunk one time. One of these funny, fun stories of Scripture. He got drunk one time. Ham, the son, went into the tent and saw his father drunk and naked. Instead of covering him up, he went out and told his brothers, hey, look at dad. Shem and Japheth went in and covered their dad. So because of that, Noah pronounced a curse on his son Ham that he will always serve his brothers. So in a perverted kind of way, the, Ameri- the, the American slaveholders said, "That's African Americans, they, the, they have the curse of ham on them. The, the, they actually believe that ham's skin color changed black, and this ve- verifies why slavery is okay, because ham was cursed. And it's, it's silly because, and let me just say this, any time, if, if you were to, this is a good Bible interpretation principle, if you give the Bible to just an average person who knows nothing about our culture and just reads it, they would have never concluded that slavery came from the Old Testament passage. But if you have a point of view like we got, we got to figure out how to accommodate slavery, you can always force find it into Scripture. Right? The technical term is exogesis. Means What, what do we get from reading the Bible this way? Isogesis means iso means into. I have a conclusion. I want to find something to support it. So what happened in the slave-owning South, they had a conclusion. We've got to have slavery because it supports our economic engine. So we're going to find Bible verses that support it. You never interpret the Bible that way. That's, that's accommodation. That's not Bible interpretation. You read the Bible as if you read it, and what would you conclude from it? Nobody would have ever concluded that when Noah cursed his son Ham, that that was going to be a justification for millions of men and women and children being forced into horrible slavery in the United States. Never. Nobody ever thought that. But what happens in our culture is we accommodate. All right? So in the South, this guy was known as kind of a hero of slave owners because he was a pastor. And even in the, you might know in the book of Ephesians, Paul says, slaves, obey your masters. So therefore, it's verifying slavery. Well, let's think about this. This was a Roman culture. Slavery was a Roman reality. Paul knew he couldn't change the Roman system. And I'm not, he... He didn't, and he actually he actually appeals at one time to a Roman slave owner to release his slave, but the system was not driven by the church. The Jews didn't initiate the slavery system; the Romans did. So Paul's just saying you find yourself in a broken, dysfunctional culture, and and here's how you live in that. He, I'm sure he would have advocated for their freedom, but he they can't do that. In Rome. But so so the point is, you can't read what happened in the South was. Uh, they believe things about their economy, and then they force the Bible to say it. And that's the danger of what, I, what I'll call accommodation interpretation of the Bible. Let's accommodate our culture, all right? So that was uh, James Henley Thornwell. All right, now let's go to the next one. You know this one, Billy Graham? He had a lot of crusades. Uh, his, some of his first crusades in the South were segregated, in other words, they had a black section and a white section. And you and I understand, but say, oh, I could not believe that. Like, Graham grew up in the South. Then he said, as he traveled around the world, and he said that other Christians around the world were appalled at the, at the segregationist mentality of the United States, he started understanding he had a posture shift and understood that what his tradition of Scripture wasn't understanding correctly. So in 1953, he held a crusade in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he got there and the ushers were putting up the segregation ropes, black section, white section. He said, take those down. And they said, we'll take them down, Dr. Graham, but we'll put them back up when you start to preach. He said, if you put them back up, I don't preach. And from then on, every one of his, his crusades were integrated. He did not allow, and some, some might say, well, he should have known that from the beginning. Well, let's applaud people who make the culture, the, the, the posture shift more toward Jesus. Because we can't, we can't condemn that. We we can condemn their culture; it was wrong, but we've all been brought up in cultures we had no choice over. So, yes, do we wish Billy Graham would have come to that conclusion sooner? Yes. Yes, do we wish and people wish Billy Graham would have marched with Martin Luther King in some of his marches? Yes, he, became, he befriended Martin Luther King, but some people say, well, he should have done that sooner. But he did come to the point where he started. He was when he started having these. Integrated Crusades in the South, it was a big deal. Big deal. So, again, we have a kind of an interesting history. A few more. This is uh, Reverend W.A. Chriswell. You've probably never heard of him. I heard of him growing up because the pastor I grew up under would read this guy's commentary. He was, he was pastor, First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas. All right, in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Kind of an icon. It was the largest church in the Southern Baptist Convention. So, W.A. Criswell was pastor in Dallas right during the time of some of the Supreme Court decisions about integration. You know, Brown versus the Topeka Board of Education and things like that. He said in one of his sermons that integration was idiotic and unbiblical. And not at all the Christian way. And, I mean, I read a lot about this in the last few weeks and before. And was just you, you read it and you're like... What was he thinking? He eventually came to a point where he said he changed his view, but some people think he changed his view simply because he knew he had to. But again, uh, let's, not, let's not knock him. We can say he was wrong and woefully, biblically uninformed. But if you and I were, had been growing up in Dallas, and this was 1956, and we were in his church... Maybe we, we, maybe we had not woken up yet to what God really thought about the issue. That's the whole point of this series. Let's wake up to what God thinks about the issue. Because sometimes the cultural, even in the church, especially in the church, the cultural norms are so heavy and they are so unbiblical, it's hard to shake them off. So you, you and I, if we're in that church, we might be saying, I might be saying to Tom and Roberta, I, I just don't think this, I think integration is a thing that God wants. We might be saying that, but the, the force of our culture, even in the church, is so heavy against that. So again, I'm not, I'm not giving them a free pass, though, either. But part, sometimes I wonder, what are the things in our culture today, in our church today, that somebody 30 years from now might look back at us and say, what were they thinking about those issues? But again, we have to always start with the Bible. We're not trying to accommodate to culture, all right? Uh, one more, one more. And you guys maybe don't know. Reverend Theophilus A. Wiley. All right, uh, professor in Indiana, what was then Indiana College. He was also interim president of Indiana College slash university. Uh, you might see the, that's the Wiley House, which is in town here. I think there's a building on campus called Wiley something. I don't know. But uh, he was part of the Reformed Presbyterian Church in Bloomington. This is just bringing it back home. You know that it's, it's the churches down whichever, whichever, that way. Um, Reformed Presbyterian Church. They used to be called the Covenanter Presbyterians. They came here in Bloomington in the 1830s. They were viciously anti-slavery. You could not be a member of their church if you had slaves. And that was rare in that time of our history. He was really totally abolitionist against slavery. Um, Bloomington was actually a, this, this church it used to be, if you go to High Street, I think Maxwell's at the cemetery called Covenanter Cemetery you know what i'm talking about you hardly even notice it that was the covenanters that was the first reformed presbyterian church um but they were actually stationed on the underground railroad here in bloomington so uh reverend wiley who was also president and professor at iu um, was driven by scripture that slavery is absolutely wicked and not of god all right so I'm saying that because we, let's be honest about the American history and even the church history. And again, you didn't grow up in Dallas or Columbia. You didn't sit in Reverend Thornwell's church. Um, we, none of us were there. So I'm not saying it's all your fault or my fault because we're white, therefore we're there and whatever. Um, but But let's just be honest. That's a pretty nasty history. There are some all-stars in there, and there's many more. Uh, the abolitionist movement in the United States, even if you read a secular history, they'll say it was totally driven. The, the driving force was people who were convinced, convinced by what Scripture said about human, human nature and dignity. So it wasn't, they said there were a lot of philosophers who thought slavery was bad, or, you know, kind of big wigs, but it was the Christians who drove toward change. And they were the Christians who operated the Underground Railroad. It's the Christians who did those kind of things. So, but we do have a sordid history. And I'm saying that because it's, it's, you, we have to understand that, not just for us. I mean, it's, not, it's not about guilt. I'm not saying feel guilt or anything. But when you interact with people you know that are African-American, understand that they know those things too. And so they, that if, if you were African-American, you could see how, wow, that's a kind of a hurtful past. Even back as you know, nineteen sixties, there was churches in Dallas, Texas that were all pro segregation, didn't like integration, thought it was idiotic and unbiblical. So let's let's just kind of grab onto that now. So the question we ask are this: this. Okay, what about us? How do we? What, how, what do we do about it? Should we feel guilty? Should we do this? Should we do that? Do we? You know, repent in dust and ashes. Um, again, most of us. I can't imagine any of us us, uh, maybe somebody here has a relative that was part of these churches. So I don't know. Who knows? But uh, so what do we do? So now we go to the Good Samaritan story, all right? Good Samaritan story, uh, Luke 10. Now, I want you to understand why the Good Samaritan is such, there's tension just around the fact that we call it that. Because I told you before, Jews hated the Samaritans, hated them. They were dogs, all right? So the fact that Jesus made a Samaritan, the hero of a story in front of the Pharisees, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He, he was angering them to the nth degree. So what was, here's, the, here's the context of the story here. So Jesus is teaching, and, and uh, one of the teachers of the law, who was trying to catch Jesus, said, Jesus, what's, uh, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. And the guy said, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. But again, this guy's not asking honest questions. He's kind of playing with Jesus. And Jesus said, you speak truth. You love your neighbor as yourself is really important. And then the guy says, and the Bible says he's testing Jesus. So who's my neighbor? Kind of tell me more. So then Jesus tells the story. And he says, a man was along the road. They'd been beaten by robbers, bloodied, dying, whatever. And a priest passes by. I mean, priests... He's a Jewish good guy, right? Priest passes by, doesn't have time. How awful, All right, But we can understand he was a priest. Then a Levite passes by. He was another spiritual Jewish person. He passes by too. Oh, I can't believe there. this. It's a fellow Jew who's been beaten up on the side of the road and they don't have time to pass for him. And then Jesus says, and then a Samaritan passed by. And at that point, the Pharisees would have been like, what? It's almost like telling a story, depending on your political perspective, and all of a sudden Jesus said, and then a really good liberal politician passed by. Or if you don't like conservatives, then a really good conservative. And then a really good white Republican passed by. Whatever you don't like, put that person there. Could be white Republican, could be liberal, could be whatever. All right? So he says, and then this Samaritan passed by. He put the person on his donkey took care of his wounds, took him to an inn, told the innkeeper, hey, take care of him. I'll pay whatever it costs. So the hero of this love your neighbor is yourself story is this Samaritan dog, according to the Jews. And then Jesus asked this question. Go to the next slide. So which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? I don't know this, but I'm guessing... When the man replied, the one who showed him mercy, he could not bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He did not want to say Samaritan was the hero of the story. Because that would just be... And he was... He, I, I'm guessing, even as he said this, he had his teeth curved. Oh, the one who showed him mercy. And what does Jesus say? And you go do the same. I mean, he went right to the heart of this racist teacher of the law. And he said, okay... You, you want to know how to break the bonds. You want to know how to please God. And that is show mercy to the people you despise the most. And and you might say, and I might agree with you, well, I'm not racist, you know. So let me just say this. The heart of racism is you thinking you're better than somebody else. You may not be racist in a black, white way, but I'm guessing... There are people, if you're honest, that you think you're better than, right? I, I think I told a story one time. I was in a pastor's gathering, and there was a guy in my group, and I'll just, I'll, I'll use, I'm not going to use bad language, but he was, a, he was a white hick, all right? And I grew up around white hicks, so I'm not being derogatory. There was some of them, my friends. He was a white, horrible English, you know, from the hills of somewhere. And I just, but he had all this bling on. Like he was one of these bling pastors. So I totally had sized this guy up. I'm way better than this guy. This guy can't speak English correctly. He's, if I can use a term about it, people say he's white trash. I mean, I didn't, I didn't say this, but in my head, give me some grace. Now I was thinking that. Okay, why is it? What's he, I, I went to this college. I have a seminary degree. I, I can speak, you know. I thought I was better than him. Now, was he black? No, but was I being racist? Well, I was being somethingist that is equally as evil as racist, and as he 's talking then, and I had, I, had, I had sized him up as being less than me, all right, then he starts telling his story and about how God saved him and how he'd been in prison, and I mean I was crying by the time his story was done, and I just thought, God, forgive my my, my arrogant pride because I thought it was better than this guy, and this guy 's story. Is a, was a trophy of grace. So I'm just saying, you may not think you're racist, but we all struggle with thinking we're better than somebody else. right? So it, go there. But again, what Jesus said to them, the response is not, is not uh, the response is, go show them mercy. Go to the next slide here. Go show them mercy. And it's not simply, go feel bad for them. Go show them empathy. Because the Samaritan didn't just have empathy. Oh, I feel bad. It's a bad lot that guy has. He did something, right? I don't know if you guys remember, oh, a couple months ago, Pastor Michael Carter came to speak here, African-American guy from uh, Life Church. Remember that, Life, Michael Carter? When the whole George Floyd thing came out, Kathy and I had lunch with him and his wife, and I asked him one time, what do you want from the white church? What do you want from white Christians? Not want, but what do you... you?" And he actually said on this, and I thought about this when I was studying this week, he said... We don't, we, he said, we, I want to challenge white Christians to move beyond empathy to action. And I think this is what Jesus is saying here. The Samaritan didn't just show empathy, he took action that was merciful toward this person. So I don't know what that looks like for you or for me. I don't know what it looks like to the church, but I think go and show mercy. I'm hoping this week God will tell some of me, some of you or me, in a certain situation, whether it's a racial issue or somebody you don't like, and God might, you might hear the Spirit of God say, no, I want you to show them mercy right now. And if I'm the Samaritan, I'm like, but God, that's a Jew. They hate us. No, I don't. God's like, I don't care. Go show them mercy. Go show them mercy. I don't care. Well, I feel bad for him, God. Isn't that enough? I got things to do. No, no. I want you to go show him mercy or her mercy. So, the antidote of Jesus, because we trust Jesus, to racism is being responsive to the Spirit of God and going showing people mercy. And to some degree, that's an individual thing. To some degree, it's, a, it's a, maybe a corporate thing. When, you know, we gave, we gave money to Lighthouse Church, primarily African-American church, toward their mortgage. And it wasn't a, uh, I, said, I said when I wrote, told people, it, it wasn't a reparations thing. It wasn't a white guilt thing. It was, we felt like God wanted us to do that. And maybe that's showing mercy, I don't know. I mean, somebody even said, well, why are we giving them money for a building we don't have a building of our own? Well, I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense, does it, right? But maybe something God asked you to do that shows mercy to somebody that you think you're better than this week won't make sense to you, but you better well do it. Because Jesus will motivate, I mean, the voice of Jesus tells you this, and that's way more powerful than the voice of shame, right? So do it, right? So, so that's when I, when I say about, okay, how, do we, how does Jesus, well, this is what Jesus says about racism. we will change the world if we live by this creed not we can't tell the rest of the world to do this it's the people of god if we lived under this mentality and were responsive when the holy spirit told us to do something towards somebody we thought we were better than i guarantee we would change the culture all right one other story about this this is not jesus this is a bible story which is good to know so you also know the gentiles were hated people by the jews the Jews hated the Gentiles. They were anybody non-Jewish with Gentiles. They referred to as dogs. Of course, God doesn't call them that, but they referred to as dogs. And they were, you know, you we can't we can't even go into a Gentile home. Jew, a good Jew thought, we've been told that from birth. You don't go into their home. Samaritans bad. Gentiles bad. All right, pigs, dogs. All right. So here's what happens in this story. So Peter, Peter, this is post. Resurrections is Pentecost. Peter already had, post Pentecost, Peter had huge preaching opportunities. Thousands came to know Jesus, but he's still kind of stuck in a certain way of thinking. And so uh, Peter, Cornelius is this Roman centurion, Gentile. But it said he had God's attention because this guy wanted to know God. So this guy is trying to figure out how to, he, he, he has this dream that he's supposed to go send for this guy named Peter, all right? Peter, on the other hand, has this dream of these unclean animals being dropped down in front of him. And and in his dream, God's saying to him, eat these, eat these animals. And they were all the unclean things they were supposed to not eat from the Old Testament. And Peter's like, surely not, Lord. I've never, I will never do something unclean. Never. And the dream repeated itself three times. And then finally God says to Peter in the dream, don't you ever call something unclean that i've called clean and peter was like i don't know what to do with this well then what happens is right away he gets a knock on the door and cornelius's servants have come to get him said we're supposed to get some guy named peter and peter you understand the tension he would have felt prior to this dream i'm not going to the home of a gentile but never do that but then he they ask him to go and he goes this is what peter says to them go to the next slide Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this. Or to associate with you. All right, It's not against what God said. It's when they took biblical passages, and like we can often do, and they twisted them so it became a tradition of hatred. God never said to them, don't go into a Gentile home. That was tradition based on misinterpretation of scripture. That's a key thing to remember. We often have traditions that are based on misinterpretation of Scripture. So he says, God says, it was against our laws, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. You know, what's Peter doing? Posture shift. God showed me this. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. All right? So last point from this story is this. Go to the next slide. Don't think of anyone as impure or unclean. And you might say, well, I don't. Well, I do. I mean, that guy in that meeting, and there are times where I might go by people and I think, oh, come on. Whether it's homeless people in Bloomington, you, you probably have those internal, what I call the internal roll-your-eyes reaction. And I'm not saying we, there's some real issues we've got to deal with, that, but be honest about the times when you feel like, oh, I can't believe. And it might be somebody, I mean, it may be somebody on this end of the political spectrum or that end, you might have that, I mean, you know, you, you might have that reaction when it comes to, um, you know, the CNN liberal left. Or I've seen a lot later where people kind of mock um, GOP white Christians. It's, we don't mock anybody, right? The whole, the whole culture of Jesus is we don't show contempt toward anybody. So if you find yourself, even in small ways, having contempt, whether it's toward Joe Biden or Donald Trump or whatever, don't think of Anybody? Is impure, unclean. Because who knows what God can do in their life? So, both these—the first story was, of course, Jesus. The second story is Peter responding to Jesus in a dream. But it's like, okay, maybe this week God may call you to go show mercy to somebody that you think you're better than. Or maybe this week you'll find yourself having one of these. I can't believe that person was from TV or somebody you drive by in the street. And maybe right away the Holy Spirit might say to you, "Hey, don't think of anything as impure, or unclean." All right. So, to some degree, I, this, these are this is how the Spirit of God is a corrective to us, but He also gives us life to these things. So that's my uh, that's how we'll do all these all these different issues. We're going to try. We're going to go out from those these kind of ways. Like what we do trust Jesus, but again, the, the challenge is, what are you hearing Jesus say to you on these issues? And it may not be. What the Holy Spirit is saying to Kristen Moy? may be something totally different than the Holy Spirit is saying to Paul Henderson. Not different like in terms of right and wrong, but she may feel called to do this for these people. Paul may be called to do this. So it's all going to be different, and we may have similar kind of ideas to do things, but uh, it's really start, has to start with you personally. I mean, it started personally with Will, William Wilberforce, that I need to be a part of ending slavery. It started personally with Harriet Beecher Stowe, that I need to expose the evil of slavery to other Christians. Part of of, personally with Billy Graham, I need to realize I can't segregate my crusades anymore. So we're not those big names, but it starts personally with what God's asking you to do. But again, we're we're not trying to argue from a CNN or a Fox News or a Red White or whatever political practice. We're, we're, We're coming from this point of view. What does Jesus have to say? And how do we have the mind of Christ on these issues? Next week, we'll talk about a similar thing. Next week, we're going to be talking about how do we think think about the concept of white privilege. Uh, After that, we take a break, and there's a couple weeks, or one week, and there's a couple weeks, then we talk about um, LGBTQ kind of things, which will be, um, I'm I'm excited to talk about that, but I'm also a little bit nervous about that, but I think there's some really good things that Jesus has to say that helps us drive through that. But everything, everything is always a balance of truth and grace. Because Jesus loved people well, but he also knew scripture well. How do we do that well? All right. So um, so Jesus we always end with communion, so Aaron, you can come on up. But so Jesus said every time you eat this, remember me. And I think I might say this every week for the next few weeks. What we remember is let's remember what Jesus taught and did. Let's not let's not remember what we wish he would have taught and did, or what we think if he was here, he because we don't what did he say? What did he say about us? What did he say about, I mean, what did Jesus show us? He showed us mercy. He showed us mercy. He showed us mercy. That's what the cross told me. He showed us mercy. Go and show mercy. So maybe for us to go and show mercy, we have to have a greater experience of the mercy of Jesus in our lives. I'm guessing anybody who shows mercy to another has experienced the mercy of Jesus at a deep level. So maybe that's, Maybe that's when you're taking me today. Maybe you're simply God, I want to understand your mercy works. because I want to be that kind. I'm gonna be that Samaritan who who shows mercy to a hated Jew. I'm gonna be that. I'm gonna do that. Not out of guilt, but out of the kind of passion of my heart. So let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful that you gave your life. Um, we're grateful that you didn't you didn't wait till we we're un- you didn't wait till we were clean or pure. You even when we were unclean and impure, you showed us mercy. Even when we lived in animosity to you, you showed us mercy. You didn't wait till we were even even key old friendship. You show us and you still show us mercy um, beyond what we have even we don't deserve at all. But but we're grateful. And God, we want that kind of show mercy to others to be the driving force of our hearts, but we know that can't happen unless it's the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be poured in there by, by guilt or shame or anything else. It's going to be poured in there by the Holy Spirit. So as we take this cup and bread into our bodies, remembering you, Jesus, will you pour into us the mercy... In truth, that you've balanced in a way that was incredible, would you pour those into our spirit so we can be those same kind of people, and in doing so, we can change the world. And we ask you it all in, in your name, Jesus. Amen.